0: Thank you for downloading this podcast from Grace Church Manchester. To listen to more or to get involved with church life, visit www.gracechurchmanchester.net. Good morning. Nice to see you. Okay, let's be honest. Who came early this morning? No one arrived early? Ah. I was thankful for the extra night's sleep because uh, I've got this little girl called Arwen and she's four and occasionally she'll creep into our bed in the early morning. And last night she came in and um, she, you know, finding a pillow, she just drives her head down and instead it landed right on my temple. I can still feel it. The parenting is hard on your body and also your heart. If you're a dad, um, have you ever been sort of struck by the concerning fact that your children are turning out like you? I wonder if, you're, if the, the, the lads in here, the men, have ever heard your mum say to you, you're just like your father. Was it ever a good thing? It was probably a bad thing. It's bad for the husband and it's bad for the son. If you've ever heard that song, Cats in the Cradle, it's a convicting song if you're a dad, isn't it? This, um, this, dad, this man has a boy. And the boy uh, grows up, but the man's busy with his work and uh, he doesn't have enough time to spend with his son. And as the son grows up, he says, Dad, I want to hang out. I want to be like you and I want to hang out. But the dad's really busy. Then one day the, um, the son comes back from university and the dad realizes he really appreciates his son. and He's proud of him. He says, let's, let's hang out. And the, the son says, what I really want is your car keys. And uh, he realizes the scary and frightening thought that his son is just like him. I can tell you as a dad that some of the most concerning things for me is when I realize my sons are a lot like me. And this is like Adam and Cain. The apple hasn't fallen far from the tree. Cain, in Genesis chapter 4, is a lot like his dad. He has been stricken with the curse. And so we're in Genesis 4, and last week we saw the effects of the fall, in part. Uh, As Adam and Eve were sent out from the garden, they were banished from the place that God had uh, assigned to them this great perfect paradise called Eden, and they were shut out from God's presence and they were doomed to die. But now we get to see even more of the misery of sin and the curse unleashed in chapter 4 just how horrible sin is. But we also have a remedy, and so the title today is called The Better Sacrifice. That's the title for our message today. And here's the big lesson. I'll give it to you up front. Like Cain, we're unable to master ourselves. We need new hearts. Sorry, we're unable to master sin ourselves. We need new hearts. We need to come to God in faith, receive his grace, and the better sacrifice he offers in his son, Jesus. God offers us a better sacrifice. We'll see that as this passage unfolds. So here's the outline three points. We've got here, we've got two offspring and one hope, one unfulfilled hope. We've got two offerings and one acceptable way. And we've got two slain and one savior. That's our outline today. Let's look at that first one two offspring, one unfulfilled hope. So where are we in the story? Adam and Eve are outside the garden. What is life like? In a fallen world, in a world in rebellion against God. Adam and Eve are experiencing the effects of the fall. Banishment from God. They're experiencing the effects of a cursed ground. So work is cursed. They're experiencing changes in their body. All of a sudden they're aging. They're starting to die. Maybe they experience sickness for the first time. They experience even the, change, the pains of childbirth. Have a look at verses 1 and 2. And we can see here, Eve became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. So she experiences the pains of labor. My wife has had four births and she, her, her summary of giving birth is that you think you're going to die and it gets worse. I don't want to dissuade you young ladies from being mums at any point. But there are pains greater than that of labor. The, as, and here Adam and Eve experience more of the bitter taste of sin. They're about to see one of their sons murdered by another one of their sons. So they're about to see sin unleashed in all of its horrible effect. They, what they see here is that sin has gone to the core of our hearts. It's not just affected the outside world. It's not just affected our bodies. It's not just affected the ground, it's affected the core of our hearts. And this is the, uh, the nub of what we're talking about today, is that this sin in here, the curse in here has to be dealt with. The sin, sin and death is produced from within. Adam and Eve have tasted this. They've experienced blame on each other and shame. They've probably argued at times, and that wasn't happening before in the garden. And now we see this sin in the heart unleashed in the worst possible way. But even in the midst of this, there is hope. They've been banished, but God has not departed them forever. He's still working his plan to rescue mankind. And you remember Mike said last week, he referred to this verse, Genesis chapter 3.15. Turn back and look at that verse, if you have your Bibles open. And you'll see that when God cursed man, he provided a promise. He also provided hope. He has a plan. Genesis 3.15 he is speaking, God, here to the serpent, to Satan, and he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. Who is this he who will crush the serpent's head? So God's providing a promise here of a person, an individual, who will destroy Satan. And so the question now in the Bible if you're just reading from the start and you don't know anything about the Bible and you get there and you're really thinking about it, the question you'd be asking is, who is this person? Who is this he? And when is he going to come and crush the serpent's head? Now Adam and Eve heard this and they would have been thinking, I wonder if this is Cain. I wonder if our son is the one who is going to do this, this offspring of ours. And the big question in the Bible in the Old Testament is, who is this promised one? And when is he going to come? And where is he coming from? Who is this Messiah? We realize it's not going to be Cain. It's not going to be Abel. And I'll give you a spoiler. It's not in Genesis or even the Old Testament that we find this man. Of course, it's Jesus Christ. He comes at the beginning of the New Testament in our Bible. But I'll give you more of a spoiler. If you have a look at Genesis chapter 12, you see where or what family this Savior comes from. God gives a promise to a man called Abraham. Out of the blue, it seems, God says to Abraham, I'm going to bless you and salvation is going to come through your family. All the nations of the world will be blessed through you. So we start to discover in Genesis 12, even though we don't know who this individual is or when he's going to come, we realize he's going to come through Abraham's line. Okay, So we get to that point and we realize it's a descendant of Abraham. When you get to the end of Genesis, you can look at Genesis chapter 49. There's 50 chapters in Genesis. And at the end of Genesis, we see Jacob blessing his sons. So Abraham has a son, Isaac. Isaac has a son, Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons. And here we see Jacob blessing his 12 sons. They all get different kinds of blessings. And look what he says to Judah in chapter 49, verse 10. His son Judah, fourth son. He says, the scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of the nations is his. Isn't that an awesome prophecy? So Jacob, by the Holy Spirit, is prophesying that through Judah, there is going to be a descendant, To whom belongs the obedience of all the nations. This is the Saviour who's going to come and crush the serpent's head. So by the end of Genesis, we know that the Saviour of the world, the Messiah, is coming from the line of Judah. That's where it takes us. So Genesis isn't just a book about creation and about man and how we're made in God's image or even the fall. It's about all of that. Plus, it's about God's rescue plan from the beginning to redeem mankind through a Messiah. All the scripture points to and find its fulfillment in christ where does that leave us here in chapters 4 to 11 the section we're in today is the start of a downward spiral so what we see in chapters 4 to 11 right before abraham is just this downward spiral of life outside the garden what happens in a world that's rejected god you see it all around you we see it all around us what happens in a world that's rejected god And we get this ugly spiral of sin and misery and hopelessness. But God has not departed from humanity altogether. There is hope. So that's the big picture of where we're at in Genesis. There's a spoiler for you. That's where we're going. Christ is the point of the whole thing. All right, second point here. These two points are slightly longer than the first. Two offerings, one acceptable way. We're about to get a picture of the outworking of the curse in the world's first murder. Things are going to get worse and worse. My wife and I struggle a little bit. The hardest thing about being here probably is the light for an Australian as it gets worse in winter. So much we love about being here, but the hardest thing is the light. And we we think to ourselves, it's going to get worse. If things are going to be dark early this afternoon, they're going to get dark a lot earlier at the end of December. But I'm looking forward to seeing how much I've adjusted this year. But things are going to get worse and things are going to get worse for Adam and Eve here. What's the situation? They're presenting an offering to God, Cain and his brother Abel. Maybe other people were as well. We're not sure. Here's the setting. Verses 2b to 5. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering. Fat portions. From some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel, Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favor. Now, what's going on here? Have you ever thought this is slightly unfair? If Cain is working the crops and what he's got to bring is crops, isn't it unfair that what he brings isn't acceptable to God? If you remember what Jesus said in the, uh, at the temple with his disciples and the woman comes and drops in that tiny little coin and Jesus said, you know, I tell you the truth, she dropped in even more than all the others who dropped in a bucket load of coins because that was all she had. Now the issue here is not that Cain brings wheat or crops, the issue is his heart. It's likely that Cain probably had... Uh, lambs to bring or cattle to bring but even if he didn't the problem is not the offering he brings but the heart that he brings that offering with and the scriptures tell us this hebrews chapter 11 verse 4 it says this we'll just put this up on the screen now this is the contrast god was pleased with abel's offering because he offered it in faith it says in Hebrews eleven four 4, By faith, Abel brought to God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he is dead. We'll get to the Abel still speaks part shortly. But he, Abel presents his offering in faith. That's why God accepted his sacrifice. He's pleased with it. He commends it. He accepts it because... They come in faith. You know, that's the kind of offering, that's the kind of approach God accepts, is when we come to him in faith. So God commends Abel as righteous, not because he brought a good sacrifice. He brought the good sacrifice because he loved the Lord. He brought the good sacrifice because he trusted in the Lord. He wanted to bring the best he had because he came in faith. He demonstrates a heart that loves the Lord. Cain, on the other hand, isn't seeking after God. He's going through the motions. He's doing what he has to do. He's not coming in faith. And have a look at Hebrews verse 6. Again, I'll put it up on the screen here. Without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Cain obviously believes God exists. We see them interacting with each other. It seems at this point, I don't understand it, But it seems at this point that God is taking some kind of human sort of presence and interacting with Adam and Eve in the garden, and even outside the garden here. It's slightly confusing how it all plays out, but we see this interaction between God and people in a slightly different way, in a different way than what we see it today. Cain obviously believes that God exists, but he doesn't seek after him. So Cain's worship isn't really worship at all. God doesn't accept it. He's just doing the external thing. God always looks to a person's heart. Now here's a question for us. What worship do you bring to God? Is there any sense where we're going through the motions? Just doing the Christian things. Maybe you've gone to church all your life and that's just what you've done. It's what your parents did. Actually, that's not acceptable to God. You've got to come in faith. You've got to come with a heart that trusts him and seeks him. Not for what you bring, but for what he can give to you. You've got to come empty-handed. It's not about how much Bible we read. It's not about doing the Christian things or how much we're serving on the rotor. It's about a heart that comes to him in faith, a heart that loves him. That's the only acceptable way. It's not based on externals. You know, Jesus condemned the Pharisees. You can read this in Matthew fifteen seven to 9. And he says, They worship me. Isaiah was, Isaiah was right about you when he prophesied. He said, They worship me in vain. Their hearts are far from me. And their teachings are just rules by, uh, taught by men. They, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. God's not interested in external worship without a heart that loves him or comes to him in faith. That's the only way we can come acceptable to God. And so we see Cain's response. What's Cain's response when his sacrifice isn't accepted? Have a look at verse 5b. Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. So Cain is sullen and he's angry, he's brooding, he's self-pitying. Now we start to see these small outworkings in his heart of something going on that's a problem in his heart. You know, not long ago I was driving the Wilsons when they went back to the US. I was driving them to the airport and I turned up the, the little knob for the fan in the car and nothing happened. So it's just a small little thing, isn't it? Turning a knob and nothing happens. On one level it's quite a small thing. But the implications of that thing were quite significant it implied that something was seriously wrong inside the workings of the car. And sure enough, you take it to the mechanic and they open it all up and there's huge drainage problems and the the heater pump is is gone and it costs a lot of money. So that small little thing was an indicator of some big internal problem. And so it is here, this outworking of anger in Cain's heart is the sign of something going on inside. Malice. Malice. Comparison with Abel, envy, self-pity. Have you ever felt any of those things? Compared yourself with other people in pride or in self-pity. Felt angry towards somebody. Compared, malice. I think it's fair to say we all have, surely, felt those things. Where do they come from? This is what Jesus says in Mark chapter 7. Verse 21 to 23. Put this on the screen here. For it is from within, Jesus says, out of a person's heart that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. That's where murder comes from. That's where sin comes from. comes from inside. The outward behaviour is a reflection of what's going on in the heart. Circumstances just bring it out. Don't think you just sin when you're driving along in the car and you get angry at the traffic. The sin was there beforehand. The circumstance just brings it out. Sin, and this is important to understand, sin isn't just the wrong things we do. Sin is a condition of the heart. It's a state of discord with God. It's a state of... It's a condition of corruption in the heart. The things we do flow out of our hearts. And this is why it's never enough for us, just as Christians, to manage sinful behavior. To put in kind of habits that manage behavior. Cain doesn't need an anger management class. What he needs is a new heart. Managing our behavior doesn't change the heart. The truth is, there's no way we can manage or master our sin. There's no way we can do it. We can't do it. And this is the whole point of the gospel, is that we need entirely new hearts. We're about to see this in Cain. He cannot master his sin. Have a look at verses 6 to 7. What we see in these verses is God graciously coaching Cain in his temptation. Even now, he's trying to warn Cain and coach him so that he won't do what he's tempted to do. Verses 6 and 7. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Cain is sorely tempted to act out his sinful desires. But sin, and it says this in the New Testament, doesn't it, that Satan's like a a roaring lion. But if you read Romans 7, you get this idea of sin is like a monster that wants to rise up. There's an enemy within. Inside Cain's like this monster that wants to devour him from within. That's what sin is like. And Cain is consumed by his sin. The only way to master sin is to come to the one who's master of it. We can't master it ourselves. But of course, Cain doesn't go to God in repentance. The sin consumes him. And so in verse 8, we see he acts out his desires to murder his brother. Uh, Unsuspecting, Abel follows his big brother out into the field and Cain murders him. Tragic set of circumstances. Think about the grief of Adam and Eve at this point. Tragic set of circumstances. This is the outworking of sin. All right, third section here. Two slain and one saviour. This week, I got a letter from a man in prison. Uh, I get... I get, I've been communicating with this guy. Here's a letter, and he calls me about once a week now. We're starting to become friends. And this man, he uh, has been in prison for over a decade, and he's done something very serious. And um, as we've been talking, he's a follower of Christ. He's become a, a follower of Christ in prison, and uh, he got invo- in contact with Grace Church, and we've been communicating. Now, he said this in his letter. He said, I thank the Lord for saving my life, and each tear I cry is a thank you for all his love and patience. I hope one day to be soon the man he has created me to be. He says, I'm a soldier of Christ, and I hope the Lord accepts my friends that I've lost because they were lost like I was. So here's a guy who has done something very serious, and he's come to know Christ, and he's seeking to follow Christ. And you know what I realize when I'm talking to him, is that he and I are are pretty similar. That we both struggle, we both stumble in many ways, that we both need a saviour. There are times when he challenges me uh, in the way what he does. He's an encouragement to me in how he lives out his faith in a very difficult situation. But he understands that he deserves a sentence for what he's done. He understands that his sentence warrants a long uh, what he did warrants a long prison sentence. He understands that. But he's not beyond God's grace and mercy. That's true of Cain, and it's true of you and me as well. Is that justice is required, but we're not beyond God's grace and mercy. I wonder how you feel about that, a prisoner. A guy like this in prison has done something terrible, getting God's grace and forgiveness. How do you feel about that? It can be a challenging question for our hearts. Sometimes, even as Christians, we think, I don't think people like that deserve to be forgiven. If you think that way, then you're in danger of not receiving God's grace yourself. Our knee-jerk response is that these people deserve justice, and that's true. But they're not beyond God's mercy. We are more like Cain than perhaps we realize In fact, we need God's grace and mercy just as much as Cain needed it. We come from the same stock as Cain. We're stricken by the same curse. We need to realize this. We have the same need to be free from the devouring effect of sin. Without God's grace, we're condemned. We're doomed to die. We're doomed to be banished forever from God's presence. Um, At the end of Prince Caspian in the Narnia Chronicles, Caspian is kneeling there, standing there before Narnia, and they're interacting um, and um, Aslan, the great lion, tells Caspian where he came from. The race of the Telmarines who drove out the Narnian creatures, they came from a, a nasty race of pirates and outlaws and somehow entered into the Narnia. And Caspian says, I wish I, I was hoping I came from a more honorable lineage. And Aslan says to him, You're a son of Adam and of the Lady Eve. And that is both enough to lift the head of the poorest beggar and shame enough to bow the shoulders of the greatest emperor on earth. You know, we need to realize that we are, just like Cain, sons of Adam and Eve, stricken by the curse. At least we were by nature. We we have a desperate need for God's grace. And God is just, He can't sweep sin under the rug. So you look at verses 9 and 10, and we see that God has to deal with Cain's murder, He's not going to sweep it under the rug. Verses 9 and 10. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, "What, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. You can see God's amazing patience in dealing with this man who's responding in a very snide way to him. But God is still patient, still works with him but the blood of Abel cries out for justice and this is where we get back to what we read out before in Hebrews 11:4 where it said Abel's blood still speaks even though he is dead if you've read that verse before maybe you've wondered how does Abel's blood still speak what does that mean what it means is this Abel's blood cries out for justice against the sinner Abel's blood cries out for justice in a sense, Abel's blood is an indictment on sinful humanity against all of fallen humanity. Abel's blood is innocent. It speaks of the need for judgment on fallen humanity. It cries out for justice. Now, of course, God doesn't hold us directly responsible for the murders that other people commit. But we need to see that we're part of the problem. Uh, apparently there was a, the, the, the Times sent out a request to writers to, to submit. Um, this is a while ago, back in the early 1900s, to submit uh, letters coming in to explain an answer to the question, what's wrong with the world? And G.K. Chesterton is reputed to have responded with this short reply. Dear Sir, in response to your question, I, uh, what is wrong with the world? Dear Sir, I am... Sincerely yours, G.K. Chesterton. That was his response. And while it's not true to say that we're responsible for other people's murders, we've got to understand this, that we're not innocent by nature, that we're plagued by the same sin, and that we're part of the problem. We're responsible for our sin, and God hears the cry for judgment on that sin. There has to be justice paid for for our sin. Cain had to face that judgment, and you can see this in verses 11 to 14, Firstly, he's banished from the ground that he worked. Have a look at verses 11 to 14, God's judgment on Cain. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You'll be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land, and I'll be hidden from your presence. I'll be a restless wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. So the first thing we see is that Cain loses his job. He loses his livelihood and his relationships and he's sent away. It's an amazing mercy that God didn't kill him right then and there because that's what he deserved. But here we see the effects of sin on an individual. We need to see this too. If we don't deal with sin, if we don't have it dealt with, it just destroys lives. Destroys our lives, destroys other people's lives. We've seen this in the world. We've seen this in politics. We've seen this in wars. We've seen it in our own lives. Sin destroys lives. But Cain loses something greater. Look what happens back in these verses. He's driven from God's presence. He realizes the implications of this, that his life has become unbearingly meaningless. His life has become pointless. It's like these nihilistic philosophers like Nietzsche who realised they stopped believing in God but they were honest about the implications and they realised that not believing in God means that life becomes utterly meaningless. Cain realises this. The tragedy is that he doesn't repent. The tragedy is that Cain isn't repentant. You can see what he says here. There's no evidence that he is repentant and sorry about what he's done against God there's no evidence that he's sorry about what he's done to Abel, what he's done to his parents. There's no evidence of repentance. There's regret, and we need to understand the difference between regret and repentance. Regret is sorry in a self-centered way for the consequences of what we've done. We can do wrong and have regret for the consequences. That's different to repentance. Genuine repentance, like the Bible says, godly sorrow brings salvation but worldly sorrow brings death what god's looking for is repentance and even at this point cain could have repented but he doesn't and you know what genuine repentance whatever you've done whatever i've done or whatever we've failed to do genuine repentance is always received by god it's a lie to believe that you've done something too wrong or too evil or too terrible for god to receive you we must realize that god is glad to receive the sinner. That's what Jesus came to do. It's not the righteous he came to save, it's sinners he came to save. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick, Jesus said. So whatever we've done, God can receive us, he will receive us in repentance. So God shows a little bit of mercy here to Cain, even still. Have a look at verses 15 to 16. Cain deserves to die, but God spares his life. It says, But the Lord said to him, Not so anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain, so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod east of Eden. Off he goes like a like a tumbleweed uprooted from life, uprooted from what he was doing, his work and his relationships, and off he goes. But there's good news for us here. And there is, that is that God's grace is for the sinner. Let's talk about Jesus Christ here. Where does Jesus Christ come in? Jesus Christ was also murdered at the hands of wicked men. Jesus Christ was murdered at the hands of wicked men and he was innocent. And actually, Jesus Christ's blood speaks judgment on fallen humanity. What kind of race of people would kill the one innocent and perfect person who walked in the earth what race of people would kill the son of god but we did and we think about that song we just sung before ashamed i hear my mocking voice call out upon the scoffers among the scoffers it was my sin that held him there and we need to realize that we're responsible for the death of jesus christ but you know what the, the good news is the blood of jesus speaks a better word have a look at hebrews twelve twenty four. this is really good news Hebrews 12, 24. But you have come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So if you've come to Christ by faith, then Jesus' blood speaks a better word for you than the blood of Abel. What does that mean? Well, Abel's blood cried out for justice against sin. Jesus' blood cries out, justice is done. Jesus' blood cries out, mercy for the sinner. You see, the difference is when Jesus died on the cross, he died to pay for sin. He died to take on the punishment that we deserved. He paid the penalty for us. And so Jesus' blood cries out, justice is done. So if you've come to Christ by faith, then justice is paid. God's justice is satisfied in the blood of Jesus. That's a great word. So when you come to Christ, you can know Justice is done, your sin is paid for. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse by becoming a curse for us. It says in 1 Peter 2.24, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. So in Christ's sacrifice, we see both justice and mercy. And I was 21, I realized this for the first time, that God's justice was satisfied in the cross, And so if I came to him and I knew I was a sinner, I could receive God's mercy because justice was paid for. And all of a sudden I realized why I needed Jesus. Because I was a sinner and justice had to be done. Either I pay for it myself or Jesus does. Very simple. And I came to realize that I needed Christ. But Christ's blood speaks a good word of mercy to us. But we need to see that we die, Jesus died, Because of us. We need to see that. When we say Jesus died for me, we can really only celebrate that when we realize Jesus died because of me. Jesus died because of me. But if you come to Christ acknowledging that, in repentance, there's grace for you. So are you trusting in Jesus' sacrifice? Are you trusting in the stuff you bring to God or are you trusting in the sacrifice of Jesus that he's already accomplished and finished? We need to trust In the sacrifice of Christ. And you know what? If you've trusted in Christ, you're marked with a better seal than Cain was marked with. Cain was marked with a seal saying, don't kill him for what he deserves. If you've come to Christ, it says in uh, Ephesians, it says you've been marked with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. You're actually a son or a daughter of God by faith. So you belong in God's family. So not only do you get Forgiveness and payment for your sin, but you get adoption into God's family. You get a new heart. So here, let's just close with a little bit of application. If you've come to Christ by faith, are you still feeling a sense of uh, doubt about coming confidently? Are you still feeling a sense of sort of focus on your own sin and guilt? I'm not good enough to be properly forgiven here. If you are, you're missing out. On the promise that god makes here you're missing out on the joy that comes from full redemption there's no condemnation for those who are in christ jesus when the day of judgment comes the mark says don't touch her don't touch him this one belongs to me so have you come to christ by faith there's a hymn called arise my soul arise by charles wesley i'll just read one verse of it it says this Arise, my soul, arise. Shake off your guilty fears. The bleeding sacrifice on my behalf appears. And he goes on another verse to say, Five bleeding wounds he bears received on Calvary's tree. They pour effectual prayers. They strongly plead for me. Forgive him. Oh, forgive, they cry. Forgive him. Oh, forgive, they cry. Nor let that ransomed sinner die. That's the word that Christ's blood speaks to you if you've put your trust in Christ. So don't bring your own good works. If you haven't trusted in Christ, then you can come in repentance and faith today. You can come in repentance and faith today and receive it. It's not your works. Like Cain, it's, he's not going to accept your defective sacrifice, your offering, but he will accept repentance. He'll accept if you come empty-handed in faith and love and repentance. Repentance. And he offers mercy. doesn't matter what you've done. He'll forgive you if you come in repentance and faith. And if you do that, he'll give you a new heart that wants to follow, wants to obey, wants to do what is right. You know, I think in conservative evangelical circles, we can be too focused on our sin. I've heard people comment on this, even in Grace Church, that we can be too much focused on, I'm a sinner, I'm a wretch. Yes, we do sin. It does say in uh, the book of First John that, Uh, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But what's the rest of the verse? What's the rest of the gospel? But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So be careful about being over focused on your sin. Yes, you sin, but you're redeemed. You're a son or a daughter of God through faith in Christ Jesus. The gospel is good news. Don't just believe half the gospel. That you're a wretch before God. That's half the gospel. That's the bad news. The good news is that God has made you clean in Christ. Your sin is not counted against you anymore because of the word that Christ's blood speaks over you. Amen. Let's pray. You have come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Lord Jesus, how we praise you that you've done this in our lives, that you've drawn us by faith. And so we come uh, without one plea, but that the blood of Christ was shed for me and that you bid me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. Lord, we praise you that you've drawn us, that our faith is in you, Lord Jesus Christ, that our faith is not in our works, that you've cleansed us, not just even as Andrew read before, not just um, outwardly uh, by ceremony, but your blood has cleansed our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. Lord, we praise you for the redemption you've bought us in the blood of Christ. May we live out the joy of being redeemed. May we know that we're fully forgiven. Yes, we were blighted by the same curse as Adam, the same curse as Cain, but you've rescued us from the curse. So we stand... United now, not in Adam, but in Christ, the one who mastered sin and death. We just praise you for that, the good news of the gospel. Help us to live it out. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for downloading this podcast from Grace Church Manchester. To listen to more or to get involved with church life, visit www.gracechurchmanchester.net.